views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert, Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky. When my father passed away about 15 years ago now, my mom called me and asked me if I would help her find a financial advisor. She, for the record, had always been the primary manager of finances in the family, and I was then and still am very proud of that. But my dad was her sounding board. She would talk to him about which investment she was planning to make. And together, they would hash out whether that particular investment served their goals. And so when my dad passed away far too young, she lost that sounding board. So together, we embarked on the process of looking for a financial advisor to be her new partner. It is not something enough people do. According to the Everyday Wealth in America report from Edelman Financial Engines, only 35% of people in this country currently work with a financial professional. And of those who are not working with an advisor, but thinking about it, 27% want help with retirement income planning, 22% want social security or Medicare advice. I totally get that. It is so confusing. 22% want help developing a detailed financial plan, and 21% are looking for tax guidance. Interestingly, the more affluent the respondent to the survey, the more likely that that tax guidance was at the top of their list. But how do you choose an advisor to work with you? How do you know when an advisor is a fit? It isn't like doctors or lawyers where every city and regional magazine publishes a list of the best in town. There are more nuances. It's more a matter of fit. Why? Because as I've said so many times on this show, your wealth isn't just about your money, the balance in your accounts. It's the proof of what you've done, what you've accomplished. It's the effort that earned you the job, those morning wins against the clock, the climb up the ladder to where you are. You did that. You've been the engine that drives your wealth. But now it's time to move your wealth forward. And what you realize when you really stop to think about this is that the biggest impact on your financial future may not be made by the investments you choose or how well the stock market performs, but who you partner with to manage your financial plan. The right partner can help you navigate through volatile times, avoid making mistakes, and alert you to opportunities that you may not know about or can't otherwise access. But as I know well, 
not all financial planners are created equal. Building and protecting wealth today requires a modern, integrated approach, a holistic approach, an approach that coordinates all the aspects of your financial life beyond just investments, tax planning, insurance, estate planning, retirement planning, and so much more. And so today, we're going to dig into this very question with a caller. A listener who is trying to figure out who the right financial professional is for her. This is Jean Chatsky, and you're listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth. Isabel Barrow, a wealth planner with Edelman Financial Engines, is with me in the studio. Always nice to see you. You too, Jean. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really glad you're here because we've got a caller. Janelle is with us on the line, and she's got questions about finding the right financial professional for her at this stage in her life. So I figured, who better than you? to answer these sorts of questions. This is what you do for a living. Let's let's bring her in, okay? Yep, sounds good. Janelle, hey, welcome to uh, Everyday Wealth. Nice to talk to you. Hi, Jean. Thank you. So I know you've come to a point in time in your life where you are thinking that maybe the advice that you've been getting or the person that you've been getting that advice from is not the right person anymore. Take us back a little bit. Tell us a little bit about you and and what's happening. My divorce was just finalized last March um, after a 26-year marriage. I'm 63 years old. The divorce was very expensive, litigious. Mm. I have two daughters who are doing well in their 20s. And I was never involved in the financial aspects of the marriage just because I didn't find it to be that interesting. Um, <laughs> we won't take it personally. Isabel and I, we do this every day, but we will not take that personally. Now that has completely changed now. But anyway, so I wasn't involved in it and I really have regrets about that. So suddenly I found myself not knowing anything going through this terrible divorce and I had to figure it all out. So I found a excellent small boutique firm uh, with an excellent financial advisor, and she held my hand along the way. But I did have to learn things on my own. And now the property has pretty much been, for the most part, divided. I just have one IRA that's uh, sitting in court with, under a quadro. But what happened was that during the divorce, I got this financial advisor and put too much into the market. I really feel like I should have put my money in more buckets. And um, now I can see everything and I don't need the hand holding anymore. So I'm looking to change from that firm to a bank, a big bank that um, I had given about 100000 to just to try them out to see what they would do. They've done well with that, notwithstanding everything that's been happening in the market. And I've negotiated a very good advisor fee. Great. So when you look at where you are right now, what questions are you asking yourself? Are you asking, is this bank the right place to be? Are you asking, are you paying the right amount in fees? Are you trying to figure out if you're getting the services that you need? I feel like I have a sense about the fee. It's just a little bit of a scary transition to make 
but I think that it is a good one. My questions are more about allocation and should I look at annuity and do I have my money in some small little buckets and how okay. to move forward from that. All right. Isabel, jump in. Yeah. So, Janelle, thank you so much for, for being here with us. It is really great to talk to you. And, you know, I think your situation is one that's that's actually pretty common um, after a divorce is, you know, I think it's natural in relationships where one person is allocated certain responsibilities and another person is allocated other responsibilities. And oftentimes in a divorce, I do see, as was in the case with with my own mother and my family, that, you know, one person is kind of left feeling like, I don't really know what to do now. And it sounds like you were in that position. You... Um, found someone that was able to help you with some of the specific things you were going through at that time, and you kind of described it as hand-holding. So let me just ask you a little bit more about what that was, what that experience was, and what that advisor helped you to do at that point in time that you don't feel like you need anymore. When I so when we sold our first home, um, I just gave her I just gave her what the proceeds from that home. And I was, it was also during the divorce, like I said, that was very litigious and I was the paralegal for my own case. Um, so what I feel like I don't need now is, um, specifically, well, number one, to, to, um, spend that much money on, um, assets under management. I have the HSA. I have the Roth that I've been converting over a number of years. I have the I bond. A lot of the financial literacy stuff that actually she didn't even do. So I guess the main thing is really to lower that fee. How much were you spending in fees? Well, I've spent, like I said, it's 1.25. So to date, I've probably spent about 38000 starting mid um 2020. Okay, so 1.25% fee in assets under management and and for that she was basically running your portfolio for you. She was running the portfolio but using a, a, a huge big custodian. Okay. So I'm wondering, you know, when you sat down with this particular advisor, are they, number one, were they a fiduciary? Are they someone who was working with you on sort of the full-scale financial planning? Because advisors do fall into a couple of different categories. And so, you know, just because they charge an asset-based fee that you're that you're paying on an annual basis, in this case, 1.25, that doesn't mean that they're providing all of the things that you may need or that you may have needed at that time. So I guess I'm trying to understand sort of what that advisor's role was, because I view the advisor, especially in a case where you're going through a big transition, like what you went through, whether or not it was you know, it's leading up to retirement or it's a divorce or it's a major move. When you're going through a transition, that's really a point at which you need an advisor to help you, not just with the investment strategy, which it sounds like what you were looking for help with at that time was, I have this money from the sale of a property. I want to get it invested. How do I do that? But rather to help you with the, okay, well, I'm sort of at square one now. I, I have to now think about what am I going to do with what I have and starting from scratch and how do I lay out the rest of my sort of financial future? Whether or not that be thinking about, I'm thinking, you know, for example, social security. 
It sounds like if you were not earning income during this last phase of your marriage um, over the last 26 years and you were relying on your spouse's income, I mean, it's thinking about what is your social security? What are your options? It's thinking about your health care. And if you're if you're only 63, you may not have um, health care coverage through Medicare yet, certainly. But, you know, it's thinking about things like that. It's thinking about, like you mentioned, the Roth conversions. It's thinking about taxes and tax efficiency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when you sat down with this particular advisor you were working with, was it on holistic financial planning or were they more focused on the investment strategy? No, that, uh, that they're the whole holistic. I had two meetings with a um, financial plan. They um, worked with me on my portfolio a little bit. They were helpful in transferring one of the um, retirements, doing it into a rollover. They work with my accountant. So they've done a lot of the work that doesn't need to be done moving forward because I have the accountant. Um, there's only, like I said, the one uh, retirement left to transfer. And then there's um, that is sitting in court. So that's it's just administrative at this point. Um, and then there's spousal support. So I have my financial plan. Okay. I knew, have a sense of when I'm going to run out. I knew recently I reduced my expenses by $24,000 and I could see how much that moved the needle. So those are the kinds of things that I feel like I don't need um, help with anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. I mean, I look, there's so, Isabel and I have talked before about how we feel like people fall into different buckets, right? And there are people who feel like they can do a lot themselves. And and I think you're at that point. I'm going back to the letter that you originally wrote me. And one of the things that you said was, I'm afraid of jumping from one very expensive financial advisor to another that's just slightly less expensive. And that's the bucket that you would put the bank in. You also mentioned that you might at that point switch from the bank to work with a friend, a CPA, CFP friend who will manage everything for you for a small fee. I could, by the way, talk about that for an hour because at one point I did give my money to a friend and it ruined a lot of nice dinners in restaurants. Let me just leave it at that. But I do want to make sure that as you're thinking about moving everything to a bank, you've cleared that hurdle that Isabel talked to about whether the person at the bank is a fiduciary, because my worry is they aren't. I have to check into that more because they work for the bank. So they could be, you know, a partial fiduciary. And I'm, that's almost, uh, that's silly. That sounds like being a little pregnant. Um <laughs> Um, I have to check into that m- more, but I don't think that they're going to be the type of fiduciary that um, I have now. You had mentioned you have a couple of specific questions. Why don't you ask them and let's see if we can help you with those. Oh, one specific question I have is whether looking into an annuity is a good option for me just to have a little bit of money aside for later on in 2029 when my spousal runs out. And if my, because I am also looking for a job and I, I haven't, I'm a lawyer, I haven't practiced for many years, but um, if that doesn't come through, then the annuities, but will be even more important. 
So that's one specific question. All right, let's let's tackle that. Isabella, if you've got a lump sum of money, how do you figure out how much, if any, you want to tie up in an annuity? Well, I think that's um, that can be a little bit tricky because we have to look at, number one, what are the pros and the cons of the particular type of annuity you're looking at? Because when we talk about annuities and as soon as you said that you were talking to somebody at the bank, I started to think to myself, I bet they're talking to her about annuities and insurance products because oftentimes they are insurance agents that are working for a bank. Not every time, but oftentimes. So number one, you need to understand, okay, what type of an annuity am I looking at? Am I looking at an annuity that's going to generate an income stream that's fixed for a certain period of time, that is fixed over my lifetime? Is it going to have a cost of of living adjustment? So what is that annuity really technically going to do? When will it begin? When will it end? What happens when I die? Um, And again, will it have a cost of living adjustment? Because one major concern I have about fixed annuities, those are the annuities that are just going to pay out an income stream on an annual basis for either a certain period of time or over your lifetime, would be, or a fixed income annuity, I should say, would be that oftentimes they don't have cost of living adjustments. And like we've seen in the very recent past, when we have inflation at seven, eight, nine percent, if your annuity income is something that you're relying on for a decade from now and it doesn't have a cost of living adjustment, how much less are you actually going to have to work with when that starts to pay you out? So then you think about, all right, well, what are the other types of annuities and, and what are the other options that I have? To Because generally when we're thinking about an annuity, the reason why that comes up at all is because we're averse to thinking about the risk of having less income in the future or of taking that money and investing it in some way that and and losing it, right? So we say, well, I want something that's going to give me something guaranteed. It's tangible. There's a number that I can rely on, and that makes me feel safe. But the thing is, is how safe is it, ultimately, if it's not going to give you that protection? If you're 63 years old and that money's coming in for the next 40 or 50 years for you, hopefully, knock on wood— How much less purchasing power do you have when you take into account inflation? So I think that's one of the major risks of an annuity. Janelle, what I'm having trouble wrapping my brain around with your whole situation is that I don't feel like I have the full picture. And I'm not sure. I think you may have the full picture based on the financial planning that you did with your prior advisor. But I'm I'm in the safety and security first bucket. I actually, for myself, like the idea of having some guaranteed income in retirement that will cover my fixed expenses, whether I get it from a pension, whether I get it from Social Security, which, by the way, is an annuity that comes with a cost of living adjustment, or whether I buy an annuity to fill the gaps in what I think will be my fixed costs of living. What I want to make sure with you is that you're not approaching these purchases of different investments sort of 
one at a time. I want to make sure that they're all part of this big picture that you've looked at what's coming in, what's going out, where it's going, and how your needs are likely to change based on whether you get a job, based on whether you buy another place to live, based on how long you think that you'll work if you do continue to work, like all of those decisions. And for me, that's where actually having a planner in the picture or knowing that you've already done the work is important. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And and I, I will tell you this, that the financial plan, the budget, it was painful. It was really painful, but it was eye-opening. And I do have the financial plan from my current advisor. I have a financial plan from the bank because, you know, if you give them good information, hopefully you'll get good information back. So I... I have a good plan from them and this incorporates it and it it's not a huge percentage so it's not going to pay my fixed income but but it's all part of a financial plan. Okay. It's not I'm just not getting one thing from another person and then I also have my friend who I have chosen not to use because I want to make she's wonderful and I want to maintain that relationship so that is why because I could have went right from the advisor right to my friend but I, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. An important thing also to think about at this point is that it sounds kind of like what you're looking at and you're saying, I have this plan. So I'm I'm kind of envisioning in my mind like a couple pieces of paper and it's got a list of here are my expenses and my income and here are my next steps. And you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, well, now I have the plan. I can go forth and just set the plan in motion and then I'll be good. And in reality, it would be absolutely wonderful if that was the case. But what I have found in doing this for 20 plus years is that every single year that I meet with a couple or a client or individual, they come in with that couple pieces of paper that we worked on last year. And I say, okay, let's talk about the changes. Let's talk about the updates. And inevitably, stuff is different. We all have lives that change and, you know, we move and maybe we get another job or maybe we start Social Security and then we realize that, you know, oh, we've got these other things happening or we delay Social Security and then we realize that maybe we should go ahead and start taking it for a variety of reasons. But Social Security just being one piece. I mean, I think there are so many components of our financial life that are materially changing on a regular basis. Tax laws change. I mean, the RMD rules change. I mean, it seems like that's changing every other year, right? We've got, I mean, the rules change. So the thing is, is that the couple pieces of paper that you're looking at, that is a snapshot in time. That is not meant to be the end-all be-all. It should be a kind of a working and breathing document where it's actually a financial planning process. So with my clients, I don't like to really rely on the couple pieces of paper. Instead, I rely on that relationship, that meeting, that conversation that we're having year in, year out to, yes, update the financial plan and to use those projections and to use those numbers and all the mathematic data that we're putting in to help me give the advice about what needs to happen. But I think that your financial plan should be planning and it should be done every single year. I know that there are a lot of people that are looking at it and saying, those are things that I can do on my own. And and there are absolutely people you can, you know, you can either use software online or if you're really good at it, you can sit down with a spreadsheet and you can kind of every single year work through it. And, and maybe that's your thing. 
If you have the desire, the time, and the knowledge to do that, then by all means, you know, you you don't need to pay someone to do that. But then the other piece of it is the investment management piece, which is kind of a separate thing altogether. And it takes a separate skill set. And there are financial advisors who are just going to focus on either the financial planning part or just the investment advisory part, the investment management part. And then there are advisors who are going to focus on both. And so I think you have to ask yourself, is it realistic for me to say that I don't need the financial planning on an ongoing basis and I and I just need the investment management or I don't need the investment management and I just need the financial planning? You know, you may still be at a point, and it sounds like you are, to be perfectly honest with you, where you may need to continue to kind of work through this financial planning until you do have an idea as to what your future looks like. Are you going to work? Are you going to stay where you are? And you have all of your investments sort of set up in a strategy that you can look at and say, I know where all the pieces of the puzzle are and how they all fit together. Does that make sense? Yes, it it does make sense. It does make sense that I may need that handholding a little bit longer. Um, but but it is the, you know, my financial plan. I have the numbers running through the Monte Carlo, with at least the two places. Yeah. But but yeah, I I may just be in still a little too much transition to do it alone. Life. I feel like life is going to be a little bit more simple once all the all the property has been divided. But you're right. Then after that, life is not simple. No. Right. Exactly. <laughs> although although I got to say, having come through a divorce, it does, when it's over, the ability to breathe is just, I mean, you just feel, at least I just felt such incredible relief. And so I look forward to that for you. Janelle, I hope that this was helpful. Thank you. Yes. No, it absolutely was. Thank you so much for calling and thanks for sharing, you know, having these conversations, having them on a podcast, not the easiest thing in the world to do. So we appreciate you being here. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much, Janelle. Thank you. We got to take a quick break, but we'll be right back on Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market, inflation rates, talk of a recession? Are you second guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner? Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, they can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-752-6333. Or visit their website at efewealthplanners.com. Put your uncertainties to rest once and for all. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now. We're back on Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth. I'm Jean Chatsky here with Isabel Barrow. We just got off the phone with Janelle, who is unsure, or maybe she's sure, but now she's rethinking things in what kind of financial information, what kind of financial help is right for her at her stage of life. And 
what I found so interesting about the conversation is that she had the experience that so many people have had. First of all, she just went through a divorce. And we know that when people go through a divorce, many of them decide that they're going to switch financial advisors. She walked into a bank, whether it was her bank or not, she didn't say, and found somebody who was willing to give her financial advice. And she's thinking about taking it because it is costing her a little less than the financial advisor that she used to have. But she's walking this line between what she can do herself and what she needs help with. And I think this just opens the door as to why so many people, I mean, every single time I go out and I give a speech, I get asked, how do I find a financial advisor to help me? Because it's not an easy question to answer. It's not. And, you know, okay, I'll give you an analogy. When I was 25, my husband and I bought our first house and condo. And we went into this condo and I went to the hardware store and I bought all the paint and I bought all the paintbrushes and I bought the tarps. And I stayed up late every single night for weeks painting that condo. You know, I... I did all of the tile work on the patio myself, right? Okay, I went, you're now my hero. I went to the hardware store. I rented a <laughs> tile cutter. I sat out there for days. You know, I did it all because I wanted to save the money. And so I YouTubed it and I bought a book on how to do this stuff and I figured it out and I did it myself. But it took me a really long time. And it did save me some money, money that I really needed when I was 25. So I was willing to do it. As I got older and I had children and my husband and I moved again, you know, we got into the house and I started looking around thinking to myself, you know, I could do this painting. I could do it. I could do it. And then I realized we've got three bedrooms. We've got a kitchen. You know, I've got three bathrooms and I didn't want to do it. You know, I know how to do it. But at that point, I didn't want to spend the time. I mm -hmm. said, I, you know, I've got to go to work. I got to take my kids to school. I've got to cook dinner. I've got plenty of other things to do. I don't really want to do painting and do all this stuff on my own. So it was worth it for me to, to hire somebody at that point. And I, I think about financial planning and investment management in, in a similar way. Obviously, it's not exactly the same, but it's, it's similar in the sense that you can figure out how to do this stuff on your own. You can read the books. You can get the software. If you have the time, the knowledge, and the desire to do it, then you can do it on your do it on your own. So let's say, as Janelle seems to be thinking, she wants some help. She's not exactly sure how much she wants to pay for that help. There are a lot of different financial professionals out there. I'm I'm very guilty of this. Sometimes I call you a financial planner. Sometimes I call you a wealth planner. Sometimes I call you a financial advisor. But there are accountants. There are insurance brokers. There are people in banks who may be a financial planner, but they may also not be a financial planner. How do you know who's who? <laughs> well, that's a tricky question. I mean, the first thing you need to ask, because it is so complicated and all the names do sound the same, is whether or not the person you're talking to is a fiduciary. So that's the most important and first thing you should be asking. Um, you need to understand what type of services they are offering for their fee. So for example, will they offer you financial planning? Are they offering, is it just investment management? Are they going to talk to you about your saving, your investing, your spending, your retirement planning, your college planning for your kids? Are they going to talk to you about your mortgage and your debt and whether or not you should buy or lease a car? When you you say, are they going to offer you financial planning? 
all that stuff that you just listed, the car, the mortgage, the college, it, does that all fall under that bucket? Is there a typical menu that falls under the financial planning bucket? Well, I don't know that there's a a typical menu. I think that those are all, you know, what you need is, of course, unique to your circumstances. I know at Edelman Financial Engines, anything that has a dollar sign attached to it, I would say is fair game for the financial planning question. So it's, you know, if you're thinking about buying a car or leasing a car, yeah, you can call your Edelman Financial Engines advisor and we'll talk you through it. What are the pros and the cons? And for some, the financial planning piece might strictly be retirement planning. It's what do I need for that retirement goal? How much do I need to put towards it? And where should I be saving? So I think depending on the complexity of your needs, you want to find a financial planning or advisor or an advisor who can help you with that financial planning that is suited to what you're looking for help with. Beyond the fiduciary question, is there any other background checking that I need to do on you? We want to find out, first of all, whether or not, is this advisor a registered representative? Are they a stockbroker? Meaning, are they licensed by, by FINRA? And maybe a stockbroker is somebody who may not give you comprehensive advice. Instead, they're mostly there to just trade stocks or mutual funds or bonds or, or whatever, and they earn commissions to, to sell those products. Um, but that's only one time. You know, they they earn it that one time. They You buy it and they earn it when you sell it. The second type of advisor typically out there, um, non-fiduciary advisor is an insurance agent. Oftentimes through a bank or through a brokerage or directly through an insurance company, their business is to sell insurance products, life insurance, annuities, again, for a commission or a sales concession. So again, not always a fiduciary. They can be, but not always a fiduciary. So the third type of advisor is someone who would work with, uh, who, who is considered a registered investment advisor. That is someone who's registered with the SEC. And in order for you to know whether or not they're a registered investment advisor, number one, you should ask, are you an RIA, a registered investment advisor? And then ask for their form ADV. So what their, is that? Their form ADV, that is their filing with the SEC that explains their fees, what they do, what their investment process and investment philosophy is. That, again, is what dictates uh, that fiduciary relationship. So are all, I feel like I'm going to look at those graphs that we used to get when we were in fifth grade with the circles and, you know, is one the other or is this the middle of the null set? Are all RIAs fiduciaries? Yes. So if you're an RIA, that should mean that your obligation is to act as a fiduciary to your clients, which means that you're legally obligated to act in your client's best interest first, meaning you can't put your firm yourself and your own income ahead of your client's needs. And that's on an ongoing basis, by the way. That's not just once. And that's, I think, a difference between we're talking about a stockbroker who may give you good advice on what to buy and when to sell, but they're not obligated to, on an ongoing basis, make sure that not only advice they're giving you right now, but the advice they gave you in the past is still applicable. All right. So we've got the alphabet soup out of the way. Next question is cost. And this was really, really important to Janelle. She felt like she was paying too much to her old advisor. She figured there's a lot she can do herself. She could maybe save some money, clearly important to her before she figures out how to scale her income. How do you evaluate what are the total costs and compare them because different people get paid in different ways? So like I said, if you have, if you're talking to a stockbroker, 
So you're usually paying a commission. That is someone from whom you're buying stock, selling stock, buying bonds, buying mutual funds. That's a commission-based relationship where every time there's a transaction, there's a cost associated with it. Um, even if you know you're you're buying and selling things online through a broker, an online brokerage account, oftentimes there's a commission to get in and get out of your ETF or your stock or whatever it is. Or it's an insurance product where it may be very clear to you what the cost is. The cost might just be sort of embedded in the product itself and the benefits that you get out of that, like an annuity, for example, an income annuity, for example. Uh, or it's a sales concession and, and you know, it's, a, it's an upfront, a certain percentage. Then you have the RIA, the Registered Investment Advisor model or fiduciary model, which is typically a percentage fee for um, money under that advisor's management. So whatever they're managing on your behalf, there's going to be some percentage fee. I think often that fee gets less the more money you have with an advisor. So it's a smaller percentage as your money grows or the more you come with. But then there's there also may be other fees associated with working that advisor. So there are some advisors who may also charge you a fee for the financial plan or may also charge you a fee to buy insurance product through them. So you need to understand what your total costs are. There's also the the issue of the underlying expense ratio. So when you pay an advisor to, you know, to put together a portfolio for you, you also have to think about, all right, what are the things that I own within that portfolio and what are those costs? And so your advisor should be able to tell you and should tell you up front what your total costs are going to look like. So I think Janelle's question or her issue with cost is an important one because ultimately, it's only what you keep, right, of what you make. But you have to think about the bigger picture. And that is, what would an advisor do for me that I can't do for myself? Or that I don't want to do for myself. Or that I don't want to do for myself, exactly. And I think also, would an advisor do those things better? more efficiently? Would they be better about helping me with my withdrawal strategy? Would they be better in thinking about tax strategy? You know, should I have my bonds, for example, in my IRA or should I have my bonds in my taxable account? Should I have a trust set up? You know, so I think it's it's oftentimes, sometimes the money is made within those margins and you need to understand what you're missing out on if you're trying to focus so much on saving money that you're missing out on maybe some extra performance somewhere else. It is a complicated question. I understand even better than I did when we started this conversation about why I get it so often. Isabel, thank you so much for doing this today. Thanks for having me. And I want to say a special thanks again to Janelle for walking through her conversation. I have no doubt that it's something that many of you could be experiencing at this point in your lives. If you have a question or if you have a topic that you want to discuss I'd love to talk to you on this podcast. So visit everydaywealth.com. You can submit your question and together with a wealth planner like Isabel, we'll talk through solutions that would be personal to you. We are mission focused on this podcast. We are committed to helping people grow and protect their wealth. And we will continue to sit at the intersection of life and money and focus on the moments that matter for your personal economy. So be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. And if you're new to our community, just visit everydaywealth.com. All of our episodes are available there. We will see you next time. 
You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.